Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website. Give them a call. It's johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, weekly guest. We'll be talking about voting rights. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. Andrew Jopp is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be joining us as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. An author of 10 books, his latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is September the 15th, and on this day in 1978, boxer Muhammad Ali defeated Leon Spinks at the Louisiana Superdome in New Orleans to win the world heavyweight boxing title for the third time in his career, the first fighter ever to do so. Following his victory, Ali, uh, Ali returned from bo- retired from boxing, only to make a brief comeback two years later. Ali once claimed that he could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, left the sport permanently in 1981. He was born uh, Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. in Louisville, Kentucky on January the 14th, 1942. The future world champ changed his name to Muhammad Ali in 1964 after converting to Islam. He earned a gold medal at the 1960 Olympic Games in Rome and made his professional boxing debut against Tuni Hunsaker in uh, October 1960, winning the bout in six rounds. On February the 25th, 1964, Ali defeated the heavily favored Sonny Liston in six rounds to become the heavyweight champ, after which he famously declared, I am the greatest. I'll never forget it. It was wonderful. During the uh, Vietnam War, Ali refused to be inducted into the U.S. Armed Forces and in 1967 was convicted of draft evasion and banned from boxing for three years. He stayed out of prison as his case was appealed and returned to the ring in October 1970, knocking out Jerry Quarry in Atlanta in the third round. On March the 8th, 1971, Ali fought Joe Frazier in the fight of the century and lost after 15 rounds, the first loss of his professional career. In June 1971, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned his conviction for evading the draft. At a January 1974 rematch at New York City's Madison Square Garden, Ali defeated Frazier in 12 rounds. In October of the same year, an underdog Ali bested George Foreman and reclaimed his heavyweight uh, champion belt at the heavily hyped Rumble in the Jumble in Zaire uh, after a knockout in eighth round. On February the 15th, 1978, in Las Vegas, an aging Ali lost the title to Leon Spinks in a 15-round split decision. For Spinks, it was, who was born in 1953 and won a gold medal in boxing in 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal, the fight was just the eighth of his professional career. However, seven months later, on September the 15th, Ali won the title back in a unanimous 15-round decision. In June 1979, Ali announced he was retiring from boxing. On October the 2nd, 1980, he returned to the ring and fought heavyweight champ Larry Holmes, who knocked him out in the 11th round after losing to Trevor Burbick. On December 11th, 1981, Ali left the ring for the last time with a record of 56 wins, 5 losses, and 37 knockouts. In 1984, he was revealed to have had uh, Parkinson's disease. Ali died on June the 3rd, 2016. What a remarkable man. What an incredible career. And uh, certainly, (laughs) it was one of the great idols of uh, the 20th century. I'll never forget him carrying the torch in the Olympics. Well, protecting Cuyahoga County coastlines, you may recall that we had uh, Rick LaCastro on the show. He's Cuyahoga County Commissioner to talk about the plan to spend billions of dollars here in uh, the Paradise Coast. Well, apparently a Cuyahoga County Commissioner's effort Tuesday to sever ties with a federal study meant to protect the county's shores from storm risk fell through. The preferred plan uh, within the study aroused opposition from citizens who thought it did not protect enough of the county and also from the city of Naples, which sent a letter to the county in strong opposition to the core study. County County Commissioners in the end agreed to look into the form 
forming an advisory committee, and Collier's deputy manager Amy Patterson said staff will look at existing committees to see if one fits the purpose of the core study. You may recall Rick LeCastro made a case for doing the study. He said it doesn't cost Collier County anything to do the study, and we can learn something from it, even if we decide not to implement the recommendations. In fact, he pointed out you can implement one, but none or all of the of the recommendations from the study. So uh, his thought prevailed, and uh, they're continuing with the study. Governor Ron DeSantis said Tuesday that he'll ask lawmakers to end the Florida Standards Assessment annual exams used in classrooms across the state. Instead, the governor said he will support progress monitoring and individualistic assessment of students throughout the year. This is going to be more student-friendly. This is going to be more teacher-friendly. This is going to be more parent-friendly, the governor said. This is a big deal. The announcement promises an end to one of the nation's most extensive and high-stakes statewide testing regimens after more than two decades of parent and educator complaint. Indeed, DeSantis echoed many long-standing gripes when declaring his intentions from a Miami classroom. The governor said the state will replace the FSA with progress monitoring, short, individualized check-in assessments three times a year, starting in 2022 and 2023 academic year. He said many school systems are already using progress monitoring with success. This will take hours, not days, to be able to do these assessments. The assessments will take place in the fall, winter, and spring, and the progress monitoring tools will be tailored to each student. Sarah Hull, the Seminole County 2020 Teacher of the Year, said she used progress monitoring while teaching kindergarten and first grade for 17 years because those are non-FSA grades. She said progress monitoring was the only tool she had to mitigate gaps in learning, and she did so successfully. This progress monitoring, which snapshots throughout the year, allows me to not only meet the needs of my students, who have some learning deficits and need to improve, but also was able to provide me with the opportunity to give my students meaningful enrichment when needed as well, she said. All spoke at the event the governor organized at Doral Academy Preparatory School in Miami-Dade County, where DeSantis made the announcement. Pretty exciting news. This is once and for all severing from Common Core, which of course was a total disaster in terms of the education of public schools. Well, California Governor Gavin Newsom will remain in office after defeating an effort to recall him in an apparent landslide, according to several network news networks that called the race within four hours, or the first hour, I should say, after polls closed on Tuesday. Thus, the 11th recall in California history has gone down to defeat conservative talk radio host Larry Elder, led potential replacements for Newsom by a wide margin, but the yes vote was simply too small to place him within reach. Votes are still being counted, and mail-in ballots will still be arriving for several days, meaning that margins could change. However, a surge in yes votes uh, sufficient to overcome the no vote is considered a statistical impossibility. Even with the cheating, of course, many people showed up at the polls and said, hey, you've already voted. No, we haven't. We want to vote. No, well, you've already voted. Well, they got provisional ballots, and there was a lot of that going on, but still not enough to overcome uh, Gavin Newsom's uh, victory. Well, a federal judge on Tuesday granted an emergency injunction blocking the state of New York from enforcing a new Chinese Communist Party virus vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. 17 medical health professionals had asked the court to enjoin enforcement of New York's mandate that then Governor Andrew Cuomo announced on August the 16th. The mandate required staff at hospitals and long-term care facilities such as nursing homes, adult care facilities, and other care settings be vaccinated for COVID-19 to continue to be employed. The plaintiffs, including doctors, nurses, and a medical technician, a physician's liaison, were facing termination, loss of hospital admitting privileges, and the destruction of their careers unless they consent to be vaccinated with vaccines in contradiction of their religious beliefs, the lawsuit argued. Their religious beliefs compelled the plaintiffs to refuse the vaccination with the available COVID-19 vaccines, all of which employed aborted fetus cell lines in their testing, uh, development, or production, according to court documents. So, uh, this is good news. Might be the first thing. Why are, why are so many healthcare professionals not wanting to get vaccinated? So interesting. Many of them working with people who have COVID-19, and yet my understanding is 40% of people in, in healthcare don't want to be vaccinated. What do they know that the president doesn't? Well, Senator Rand Paul on Tuesday became the second senator to call for the removal of Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff 
Army General Mark Miley if allegations that he tried to undermine the President Donald Trump and promised to alert China in the case of the U.S. are true. Paul tweeted, I don't care what you think of President Trump, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, working to subvert the military chain of command and collude with China is exactly what we do not accept from military leaders in our country. He should be court-martialed if true. Couple that with his inept handling of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, it's clear that General Miley is no longer fit to serve as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and should be removed immediately. Early in the day, Senator Marco Rubio called for the President Joe Biden to fire Miley in a letter charging that he undermined the former Commander-in-Chief of the United States Armed Forces by planning to commit treason. He wrote, I write with grave concern regarding recent reporting that General Miley, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, worked to actively undermine the sitting Commander-in-Chief of the United States Armed Forces and contemplated a treasonous leak of classified information to the Chinese Communist Party in advance of the potential conflict with the People's Republic of China. These actions by General Miley demonstrate a clear lack of sound judgment, and I urge you to dismiss him immediately. So interesting. Uh, you want to know what an insurrection looks like? It's not what's happened on Capitol Hill on January the 6th. It's when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff <clears throat> goes behind the commander-in-chief behind to, back to lay the groundwork for a coup. Back channels with the Chinese Mark Miley is the real insurrectionist, in my opinion, and also in the opinion of Charlie Kirk, by the way. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I'll hit for you. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County. St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. I hope you do it. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. 
We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, last week we ended our conversation about uh, uh, the vaccine mandates, but I'd like to ask one other question about that because, of course, the president's come up with his six-point program for uh, private companies employing more than 99 employee persons to, uh, vac- be, to vaccinate their employees and also a mandate for federal employees. I want to get your thoughts on that. Is this legally permissible? I think with respect to federal employees plus any <clears throat> private sector employees that are funded by uh, Medicare and Medicaid, uh, probably permissible as a condition of their employment or a condition of receiving funding. But for the other private employees, I think impermissible uh, for a number of reasons. First, Congress cannot delegate such broad power to an administrative agency, in this case, OSHA. Second, even if Congress could delegate, Congress didn't delegate. The statute is not um, <clears throat> indicative of that kind of delegation. Mm-hmm. Third, it's the states that have police power governing health and safety not the federal government. Fourth, a health mandate is not a proper exercise of the power to regulate interstate commerce if the feds were relying on that clause in the Constitution to justify this program. And the court has already ruled on that in the Obamacare case. A mandate to buy health insurance was not a proper exercise of the commerce power. And then finally, the feds cannot commandeer private parties, in this case corporations with more than 99 employees, to do what the feds cannot do on their own. So I'd say, yes, the uh, mandate for federal employees is probably okay. No, the mandate for private employees is not okay in my view. So for federal employees, and of course the uh, president's calling for state employees as well, and states are are starting to petition against this in the courts, so it looks like uh, the president's in for a tough push on this particular aspect of his programs, but uh, I'm not sure it's all for show anyhow, so we'll see how this all turns out. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about voting rights. We started that conversation last week, so what will the Supreme Court likely say about H.R. 1 and S. 1? Of course, those are the bills, the very first bills, presented on the floors of both the House and the Senate. Yeah, they're, of course, they're in the process of being modified now. But the court, you know, gave us a clue when it resolved two related cases in this past term. The first was Arizona Republican Party versus the Democratic National Committee. And the court decided whether restrictions on ballot harvesting uh, violated the Voting Rights Act. And the second case, Bronovich versus Democratic National Committee, the court decided whether states um, can reject ballots that are cast in the wrong precinct. These were Arizona cases. Both of the Arizona laws were upheld. According to the court, there was insufficient evidence that the purpose of, this, uh, of these laws was to discriminate against certain voters. So my guess is that most of these state restrictions are going to be upheld, and H.R. 1 and S. 1, their national registration and mail-in standards, uh, would probably, if they were enacted, would probably be held unconstitutional by the court. So that's so interesting. What about the uh, these uh, laws, proposed laws, H.R. 1 and S. 1? What about the other major provisions in the laws? Well, one provision is for nonpartisan redistricting commissions. <clears throat> that may be dropped in the revised legislation, but there, that's probably a good idea and probably constitutional as a means of curbing uh, gerrymandering. You know, the court in the past has, hasn't been willing to weigh in on so-called political questions for which uh, there are no established legal standards. But that seems to be uh, changing, and the court is more willing than ever to weigh into the gerrymandering issue. Uh, So I don't see that the court would throw that out if it were enacted. These new campaign finance disclosures uh, would, in my view, violate the First Amendment protection for compelled uh, political speech. They're designed to ferret out the so-called dark money Uh, That refers to these non-disclosed contributions to ideological groups, uh, such as these 501c4 social welfare organizations. But the Supremes ruled in a case called NAACP versus Alabama 
uh, more than 60 years ago that donor disclosure represents compelled speech, Mm -hmm. uh, which could result in retribution against speakers, or at a minimum, it could chill a political expression. So you you can imagine what the state of Alabama wanted to do with the NAACP uh, membership list back in the 1950s. Well, fast forward to uh, this year, and the court has reached the same conclusion in an important case decided on the last day of this year's term. Compelled donor disclosure is unconstitutional. That is good news. Uh, kind of, you know, gerrymandering, actually, uh, uh, Jerry was actually a vice president of the United States back in yeah, the early 18th, yeah. 19th century. So this has been going on for quite a while. Kind of interesting. Uh, so uh, what about the, the provisions for ethics, sex-related lawsuits, and presidential tax returns? Well, the ethics code for Supreme Court justices it may be all right, depending on the details, and we don't know what they are yet. Uh, barring members from Congress to, from settling these sex-related lawsuits with taxpayer money seems to be a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, long overdue. And, and the president, I think, should have to disclose his tax returns. But even though I think that's what the, the law ought to be, uh, or at least the policy ought to be, that provision may also be unconstitutional because it adds to the qualifications for office that the Constitution prescribes. Uh, you may remember a similar Supreme Court case about term limits, and the court held that this that the states could not add to the qualifications for serving in Congress by tacking on a maximum term uh, provision. And similarly, I don't think the court's going to allow a new presidential requirement. Huh. That is, you must file your tax returns. That's so interesting. So it would take a constitutional amendment to put that into effect, then, in your I, opinion? I believe it would, yeah. That's so interesting. So what's likely to happen in the Senate? Well, S-1, you know, doesn't have the 60 votes necessary to pass. And the Democrats um, don't have, or it appears that they don't have the votes to get rid of the uh, filibuster. Um, reportedly, the senators are now working on a revised bill that might have a better chance of... Uh, passing, but it's an uphill battle, and it ought to be. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is not something that we ought to have the Congress weighing in. Yeah, I mean, after all, I mean, isn't this a matter of the states that have jurisdiction over these elections anyhow? So, a- Absolutely. Yeah, it's yes. so interesting. So have Republicans crafted legislation to counter H.R. 1 and S. 1? Yeah, there are lots of state bills. You know, the Iowa cut the period in which mail-in ballots can be returned. Uh, they shortened polling place hours, limited early voting. Arizona, uh, there's a bill that excludes absentee ballots that aren't marked by uh, Thursday before election, even if they arrive by election. And those bills and others like them, you've heard a lot about the Texas bill, they're going to be challenged as discriminatory under the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act. And I think mostly the provisions will be upheld. Some of the more flagrant uh, provisions may be overturned if the court detects a discriminatory purpose uh, to the uh, legislation, but most of them will be upheld, in my view. Also interesting, of course, the Georgia bill uh, led to the moving of the uh, all-star game to Colorado, so we, maybe we could pick up on that one uh, next week, Bob. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, Bob. Again, the Cato Institute, cato.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. 
That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa and author of a terrific read. It's called Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Andy, I always look forward to our interviews because we talk about what's downstream, politics downstream from culture, so we always visit about what's happening culturally. What's on your mind today? Well, I'm going to get to a cultural element, particularly in Afghanistan in, in a second, but let me just hit a little bit of a fluff before we before we get into some heavy-duty subjects. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez recently went to a gala, and on the back of a dress was spray-painted, tax the rich. Just for the sake of your listeners, just to review some numbers, uh, the top 1% in this country pay 40% of the taxes. The top 1% pays 13 times more than the bottom uh, 50% combined. The top 1% makes 20% of the gross adjusted income, and they, again, they pay twice that amount in, in their share of personal federal income tax. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly where the, where the rich are failing to pay their taxes, at least as it pertains to the federal income tax area. But certainly that never stops the left from, from going after the, uh, after the rich, Bob. So just, just wanted to start out with that. Um, you make a good point, Andy. I would say this as well. I mean, she's probably better equipped to make a salty dog than she is to make recommendations <laughs> about our tax uh, policy. Bob, you just broke up completely on that. I'm so sorry. Well, I, I was saying that uh, she's probably better equipped to make a uh, drink like a salty dog than she is to comment <laughs> about about. Uh, uh, yeah, look, if you can't policy. trust your bartender, who can you trust? Exactly. That's, that's been my motto my whole life. <laughs> It's a good one. Uh, um, it, it last night uh, in the recall vote on on Newsom, uh, he uh, very hard to find specific numbers, but it looks like right now he's leading by thirty points. If we go back to July, the the polling numbers had uh, had the process even uh, on September tenth. The polling numbers showed that uh, Newsom was polling twenty two points ahead. I'm not sure how how that's been explained or if it could be explained. Um, the, uh, the, the process was built to a large extent around uh, Schwarzenegger's re success in 2003. But, of course, since 2003, the Democrats have added uh, another 3 million registrants and the Republicans have lost 400,000, uh, starting from an original base of twice as many registered Democrats as Republicans to start with. So it was always a very dangerous process to uh, to try to recall uh, Newsom. And by the way, in, in general, I'm I'm against recalls. Uh, I think that you have to wait for the election unless there's something so dramatically egregious that it must be intruded on with a with a recall. Uh, but if we look at uh, what's flowing from this, even now, the morning after that recall, uh, it certainly is being positioned as a validation of Democrat mandates against 
or four COVID restrictions, and uh, it's being positioned right now as a, an anti-Trump mandate. Uh, so we're seeing that the danger of a recall in a highly Democrat state like California, when it fails, it is now being used already as leverage against the 2022 elections, and I'm, I'm projecting right now to the 2024 elections. That's uh, interesting. Hey, it's kind of interesting. I, I like... Well, like a vote of confidence, for example, in Great Britain, I think the whole notion of being able, when people are upset, to be able, let's get the guy out <laughs> sooner than later. So I like that whole idea. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily mind it uh, totally, but I, I do find that, you know, let's say Newsom had received 49% support votes and 51% against him, and that uh, of the 45 alternative candidates, one could have received three or four percent of that vote and come out as the governor of California. Right. To me, that process seems inherently uh, faulty. Uh, so I, I guess I'm, I'm more concerned with the, uh, the the inappropriateness of the design of the recall process in California. I just think it's it's not it's not a valid way of going no. about removing yeah. the governor and replacing the governor. No, that's a good point, and I suspect right now that uh, he's going to try and leverage this as best he can. Do you think he's going to end up being on the ballot as a presidential candidate in 2024? I certainly think he'll give it a lot of consideration, and based on the uh, the strong support, apparently, and again, we're looking at uh, uh, 12 or 15 hours after the fact only, And uh, but if this all holds and there's no real challenge to the integrity of that vote, yes, I think uh, Newsom will emerge as, a, as one of several uh, possible presidential candidates uh, uh, candidates in 2024 for the Democrats. Bob. Yeah, I mean, I think he's already showed his stripes. We know that he's going to be a tyrant. Uh, he's a tyrant in California, and uh, that's the last thing we need right now. But it, it kind of in the same uh, profile as uh, President Joe Biden right now, it, there is evidence, of course, cheating and fraud in the election, but probably not substantial enough to overturn the res results. I, well, I don't think it would overturn the results, but I think that the, even a, the closeness of this would have been a serious problem for Newsom himself personally uh, and for the, for the Democrats in a state where they have a two-to-one uh, majority. Mm -hmm. uh, if that vote had turned out 53-47, let's say, for against the recall, that would have been a serious statement, a negative statement against Newsom and against the actions he'd taken in so many areas, COVID being one of them, uh, energy policy and so forth. So. Uh, the the plurality is a significant part of this. Uh, it was very difficult finding the number this morning, and I dug for it. And uh, the best I could come up with is leading now by by thirty points, which is a significant number in even in California, Bob. Yeah, well, it's a setback. I was hoping it would be a canary in the coal mine for uh, results in twenty twenty two, but uh, alas, <laughs> the obvious happened. Of course, in Democrat, I would imagine most Republicans are packing up their bags and moving to Texas anyhow. So, uh, it's well, as, as I indicated before, they've lost 400,000 registered Republicans since 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that number uh, may That's be even higher now. That number is, is validated as of 2019. So uh, that number may be substantially higher at this point, Bob. Absolutely. So uh, we, what do you, we had the 9-11 process, memorial process, this past weekend. What were your thoughts? First of all, I, I certainly understand that it was an appropriate uh, memorial. The 9-11 uh, uh, date uh, certainly is heavy in our memory. Uh, I had recently published uh, an essay where I, I just indicated that sometimes we can gain a false sense of security as we, we point out the heroism of that day and the, and, the, and the resiliency shown. And I think those are all valuable things to cite as part of the uh, a remembrance of 9-11. On the other hand, uh, it can get in the way of our understanding of the current state of American affairs. And so uh, my essay was certainly a, it was negative. There's no doubt I cited 14 specific reasons to believe. Uh, and I defined it as the Amer America has fallen. Uh, the, the feedback I've received on that is uh, all of the same type. Uh, Jabba, I agree with you, but I regret having to agree with you. So uh, it is in, was in that tone, not to negate uh, the memorial process for 9-11, but to just to uh, remind Americans that that, it, that process cannot be used to validate today's America, Bob. 
Right. I also read in your essay, if I'm not mistaken, that looking back, once uh, nations that start to fail, once they start to fail, start to look back on past accomplishments as opposed to looking forward to opportunities in the future. I, I built my essay around that that primary point, and, and I think that uh, it may not be universally true, but I think it certainly is an indicator. Uh, when a nation can't cite its current success and its current virtues, uh, it'll it'll retreat back to those older er, older virtues, which are worth noting. But on the other hand, when they when those uh, remembrances displace current reality, that is a problem, and I think that is a problem that I can see. Uh, generating from the the nine eleven memorial service, Bob. Yeah, interesting. Oh, it's kind of interesting too. The developments with Miley, General uh, uh, Miley. Miley or Millie? I have. I don't, I don't know how to that pronounce it. It spells Millie, but he. I, I hear people saying Miley. So whatever it is, the fact of the matter it's, is, it's, he a, looked, it's an interesting story. And let, let me just uh, offer my disclaimer going in. If true, and again, that is a major. Uh, thing that has to be considered, uh, Bob Woodward's history, uh, Bob Woodward having uh, penned a book called Pearl, <clears throat> Bob Woodward from the Washington Post, has indicated uh, several things that are uh, enormous in their implication. Uh, of all of them, probably the most enormous is that uh, Millie indicated to his counterpart in communist China that he would notify him if, a, if an American attack on China was pending. Uh, that is an amazing statement that wow. the, the uh, uh, head of the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff had indicated on a phone call that he would notify China of a pending American attack. Another second bombshell, if true, again, uh, is that he told those officers surrounding him, the military officers surrounding him, that they should not directly obey uh, an Obama, a, I'm sorry, a Trump directive that they should always consult him before fulfilling the president's directive. Another major point being made in the in the book Peril by Woodward is essentially that uh, Milley had consulted with the opposition, the political opposition to Trump, that would be Pelosi and Schumer, as it pertains to all of this. If this is true, this is a story of enormous implications that, uh, that certainly uh, must be, uh, be sought out for, by the Congress in terms of validating it or or rejecting it. I was surprised, for example, yesterday when when George Will gave this whole story, accepting that it was true. He gave this whole story little weight uh, by just indicating that uh, he would understand Miley's anxieties because that uh, the way he was used in the Lafayette Square episode. General Barry McCaffrey indicated that uh, uh, Milley was just. Uh, um, uh, acting in an appropriate manner based on circumstances. I think those reactions to what can be defined, and I think if it's true, should be defined as an act of treason, are uh, are really remarkable in their implication that America has, in fact, failed to recognize the constitutional relationship uh, between the civilian authorities at the top of the military and the military leaders who are strategists and tacticians, but they are not the ultimate decision makers, Bob. That's such an important point, uh, Andy. And even if uh, I know that Miley think that uh, the president was deranged and off his rock or whatever, of course, uh, and even if that were the case, an act of treason is an act of treason. We understand it, it was uh, what he did was as was treasonous. He should have his day in court, which of course would be at a court martial, and if found guilty, he should be. Uh, executed or put in jail for life well, i mean there's, there's no doubt it certainly uh, is in that area of serious uh, extended consequence bob um <clears throat> I, I i hope this is given the uh, the weight that it should be given i th you know again i i i do not know whether this is true no one does but uh, it's amazing if woodward had printed these words put these words to print and they're not true uh, the, uh, the enormous implication for not only Woodward personally and the Washington Post uh, as, a, as a corporation would be enormous if they had allowed this to go forward. So um, I, I guess we'll have to see you know, the, the totality of the truthfulness. It may be uh, truthful in parts uh, and, and, and somewhat uh, hyperbolic in others. Uh, but again, as you're indicating, Bobby, you just indicated this is an act of, of, of serious, serious intrusion on the American uh, uh, 
a governmental system, and it, it must be reacted to in that way. Yeah, well, in addition to that, of course, was his role in doing the planning and execution of what happened in Afghanistan, which is absolutely, for that reason alone, he, he should lose his job. Well, I mean, there are many reasons that we can see that uh, Miley obviously had a, a, a bad thing for, the, for, the, for President Trump. You know, we, we don't know the inner sanctum of their, of their relationship. Uh, but again, I think uh, as, as, a, uh, as a military officer, I think he had to maintain an, an apolitical dignity as it pertains to the president. Uh, he's obviously not done that in many areas. Uh, this would be an extreme statement of, of of rejection of not only his appropriate role, but his uh, his constitutional obligation to the president. The joint head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff works at the discretion of the president. He is an agent of the president, and and for him to have in fact uh, essentially turned his back on the president uh, and sided uh, essentially with the opposition political party uh, is an absolute political. Uh, outrage in this country, Bob. Uh, more appropriately, if he had those feelings or thoughts, he should have perhaps resigned at the time and voiced his concerns with his resignation. That, that's always the, the choice that can be made. But to stay in place and then uh, do what he did, again, let's presume truth is, is taking place here. <clears throat> um, I think that is not one of his choices. Yeah. You know, I think that we can, anybody can make a case that uh, circumstances would exist where a uh, military officer would find himself in, uh, in, in a historic circumstance of rejecting uh, the president's position. But for, 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 for Miley to go to military officers, particularly in the nuclear response area, right. and indicate that no direct order from the president should be fulfilled without going through Miley first, is absolutely an, uh, an absolute outrage, Bob. Absolutely, indeed. Well, you'd mentioned, we talked a little bit about uh, culture and the impact, of course, the United States attempted to have in Afghanistan on their culture and other Muslim countries. What are your thoughts? Well, let me, let me just not leave one, one comment, and I'll get right to that, Bob, but uh, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has, Austin has refused a, a voluntary appearance before the Senate uh, in terms of the, uh, the Afghan debacle. Uh, it's hard to imagine how a Secretary of Defense, considering all the ramifications of the um, Afghanistan withdrawal, that the Secretary of Defense, who was deeply involved with that decision-making process, at least theoretically, uh, should refuse an appearance before, before the Senate. Now, Democrat Senator Melendez from, uh, from New Jersey uh, is suggesting that if he does not voluntarily appear, that he will be subpoenaed. Uh, it is, uh, again, a horrible thing to consider that the Secretary of Defense would have to be subpoenaed in a circumstance like this mm -hmm. to appear before the United States Senate. Incredible indeed. So what are, what are your thoughts about the, uh, the, the cultural aspects of Afghanistan? This is, this is a difficult discussion, you know, because of the fact that our cultural values, particularly as it pertains to, to women, are, uh, are, as we know, the, the, their right to uh, equal access, their right to uh, equal pay and uh, equal, uh, equal um, influence in, the, in society. And, and yet, by in fact uh, turning our back <clears throat> on the historic view of women in um, Muslim countries, not all, but those uh, that, are, that are devout Muslim countries, particularly uh, as uh, verbalized and expressed and, and put into action by the Taliban, certainly has in fact violated a, uh, a serious cultural uh, norm. Um, our values say that uh, human individual rights for women in this case should should take precedence over anything. Uh, in the uh, Islamic model in a country like Afghanistan, to be specific, uh, their model says that women are intrusive on their process. They damage the process. So it's not just a rejection of women per se in the Islamic Sharia law. It is, in fact, a statement that women are, in fact, detrimental to the fulfillment of appropriate policies and actions in a Muslim country. So for us to go in there and not give any weight at all to the historic uh, notion of the role of women in an Islamic country. Let me just add, if we go back 100 years mm -hmm. and look at the, the major world philosophies, whether we're talking Schopenhauer or James or, or Freud or going back even farther to Plato, uh, most of these philosophers held just about that same 
view. Uh, so these are not things that are uh, totally eccentric in their in their historicity. There is a, a real historic uh, pattern of, in fact, believing that women are negative in terms of their impact on the decision-making process of a nation. I am not advocating for that position, obviously. Right. What I am saying is that uh, that position has a legitimacy in the minds of many, particularly in the Muslim countries, Bob. Right, and of course, uh, our what we should do is... <laughs> leave well enough alone they have their own culture they have their own cultural issues to work through ours have evolved certainly more quickly than theirs have and whether they will evolve in that direction is still up to question we'll find out uh, in the future but the point being is we have no business trying to impose our cultural values on other countries we should uh, be concerned about external threats and uh, that and that alone Quite in my yeah, opinion. And as I would make the point, and I deal a lot with culture in my courses and have dealt a lot with that in, in consulting, culture isn't, isn't necessarily good or bad. It merely is what is. Uh, and uh, that is an internal process that is uh, uh, recognized internally, whether it's a corporation or a country, and is accepted as the appropriate code of behavior. Uh, so an outsider can determine the right or wrong, but an insider just accepts it as the appropriate code of conduct. And I would add, in most Muslim countries where women activities, women's activities are suppressed, most of these suppressions are, in fact, supported by the majority of the women's population themselves. So these are not patriarchal type of things. These are pure cultural things supported both by men and the majority of women in most of these dogmatic Islamic countries. Bob. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting, important point, Andy. Andy Joppa, again, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It's a great read, off-topic for today's discussion, but I think you'll find it very interesting. Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your comments here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence, serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. 
And you can find out more about performances in the new Performing Arts Center in downtown Naples. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's an author. He's written several books. His latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It's a great read. I hope you'll get a copy. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. So uh, our uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, are, has, uh, seems to me, committed treason. <laughs> I, I just really appreciate your comments and thoughts on what's going on. Yeah, it's really uh, quite a major development. Uh, if Woodward's book is accurate, and he claims to have a couple hundred sources, but he doesn't name them for what he's doing, this is really uh, remarkably treacherous uh, that our top general would be talking behind, secretly talking behind the president's back, uh, saying he would warn the Chinese if there was any impending uh, U.S. attack on China. And uh, also the other sources are suggesting that uh, related conversations with Nancy Pelosi and perhaps Schumer and so on. So just uh, sp speaking with you know our arch enemy China at the top level mm. about what the U.S. plans or doesn't plan to do in terms of its military operations uh, is absolutely remarkable. I don't guess that's a strange word to use and remarkable. It's terrifying to think this could be happening. Look at a time when uh, Millie had this key role in the debacle in uh, Afghanistan where we uh, withdrew the military before we withdrew the civilians and Americans and the Turks that were supporting us and uh, abandoned the Bagram Air base, which uh, we're hearing now is uh, perhaps going to come under Chinese ownership. Mm. It was our only eyes and ears in the whole region overlooking Russia, China, all the this Russian Stan areas and uh, Iran and so on. So it's really a, a, a very disturbing circumstance that uh, is certainly a, a U.S. embarrassment. I think it's empowering our enemies. Uh, we're seeing China's advancements in the South China Sea and the Pacific, and uh, in the uh, we're seeing Iran now very close to having a nuclear weapon, and uh, Korea just launched a couple of missiles, I think, last night, test missiles. So the appearances that uh, it's, an, it's a window of opportunity that our adversaries see to really test America's weakness and uh, certainly not at a good time for anyone. Yeah, we've got a big stain on our brand here in the United States uh, internationally. And I think... Uh, uh, real good way to move forward would be to court-martial uh, Milley or Miley, I forgot, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the point being is that uh, I, both Rand Paul and uh, Marco Rubio yesterday, senators in the United States senators, uh, called for uh, either his firing or his uh, being uh, indicted, you know, for treason or sedition. And uh, I guess the process would start with the Justice Department. I just don't know who, who would start this process, but uh, I have little faith that the Justice Department would do anything uh, positive like that. Well, I think there's, been, uh, there's a lot of investigations in the works now on the Republican side of the aisle. And mm -hmm. uh, assuming that Republicans take the Congress, they've been taking a lot of notes, you know, on a whole lot of issues that Hunter Biden... Uh, uh, Biden uh, crime family influence <clears throat> peddling in China and various countries and I think the Durham report that's been held up on 
on a crossfire hurricane and some of those investigations. And we're going to see him into what happened in terms of uh, the military strategies and lack thereof in Afghanistan and certainly the Milley thing. So I think, I think they, you know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of material. I know the Congress has asked, has demanded that the uh, military not just, uh, destroy any, any uh, materials that would be uh, uh, enlightening in any of these areas, and so I, th- I think there'll there'll be a comeuppance, and <clears throat> and I I rather imagine that Biden administration will try to protect Milley and Trump, you know, and and it remains to be seen whether whether this uh, report by the you know that's been leaked by Woodward uh, in advance to sell his book is going to uh, you know, what, what that's going to lead to, it raises the question of if top military leaders were aware of this, and presumably if it happened, they are, then why was why was this information delayed, allowing Milley to become, you know, such a key figure in Afghanistan in, in that subsequent, you know, botched affair? So, you know, it, you know certainly... Certainly, Woodward and his co-author would have known about this months months before the book release. Mm-hmm. So uh, the notion that they would dangle it out here now as a teaser to buy their book, to me, is not uh, the highest uh, badge of citizenship yeah. to do that. Yeah, great, great point indeed. But it is somewhat reflective, though, of the, the type of behavior we've seen from the deep state. This is, of course, the United States military and what has... Again, this is just treasonous behavior, but there's been so much slow walking, uh, you know, duplicitous behavior on the part of people in the government while working under Donald Trump. It's uh, just been appalling to see the barriers that he faced in order to get things done. Well, this is this is uh, when when you, when you really think about it, uh, it really is insurrection. I mean, this is uh, it is really a silent coup. Uh, presumably, uh, Pelosi knew a good deal about it because they had a conversation, and Milley went over the went president to talk to both the, the head of the Democrat Senate uh, and the Democrat House. Uh, had these conversations and and uh, suggesting that that Trump was deranged, and and then you look subsequently at. The derangement of certainly Biden uh, is good. Good evidence that he's not hitting on all cylinders, and and someone had to take responsibility for the for the military uh, uh, crazy, crazy uh, lack of military planning in the Afghan withdrawal, which seemed transparently timed for a victory lap on withdrawing our troops. That never happened, and and in terms of the victory lap, that withdrawal happened, but leaving all of those people behind was, you know, as you mentioned, certainly a stain. So uh, it's it's really a, a frightening time where both our allies and our adversaries, I think, are given good reason to question uh, U.S. leadership. Yeah, I th- but I, yeah, I've heard from what your from your comments that uh, there will be some comeuppance for th- these uh, uh, events, but it's probably going to have to wait until twenty twenty two after the election. Well, I think it, it, I think it definitely will because uh, you know we, when we look at the you know the current chairmanships where you got Jeff and Nad- Nadler and in the same crowd, and, and of course Pelosi pulling the strings and. Schumer being scared about being primaried by AOC, so he's he's totally uh, on the leash as well. So nothing's going to happen uh, until you know. But uh, meanwhile, of course, Pelosi, I think, is going to resurrect the uh, you know the you know the wall around the you know, our, our uh, Congress to yeah. pr- protect us from insurrection, but. 
I don't know who's going to protect us from insurrection from the inside. That's exactly right. Again, Professor Larry Bell. I want to refer you also to not only his book, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional, but also to his column at Newsmax. Uh, on point, you can find it on Newsmax.com. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, thank you. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, join us tomorrow. We'll visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government, and Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.